NFR Extra follows all your favorite cowboys, interviews legends of rodeo, and talks to the best of country music. Follow Nevada Caldwell, Ryland Bentley, and Steve Godert every week as they delve deep into the stories behind the road to gold in Vegas at the National Finals Rodeo. It's revealing, comedic, and sometimes emotional. Find it on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. NFR Extra. All dirt, all rodeo, all year. Sean said, well, if you can do that, you can probably get a job at the NFR. And I said, well, don't offer something you uh, aren't willing to set up and, and, and make happen. And with that, uh, my first year at the rodeo was 2000. NFR Extra, episode 89. He doesn't wear the cowboy hat or the boots, but don't let that fool you. Next to Sean Davis, no one knows more about NFR production than Alan Reinheimer. In 2000, after working with Allen at the FEI World Cup Jumping Finals, which Las Vegas Events produced, Sean Davis recruited him to join the production team at NFR. Since then, he has been a fixture backstage, working in and around every piece of production. And now, he is the boss. Remember the movie Ground Outbreak is what it was. Outbreak. The little outbreak monkey. And it was like, oh my God, it's airborne. And it was like zombies everywhere. People are dying. It was like, that's kind of what they planted in our brains. And so could you imagine going to Thomas and Mac? We're going to any place in the world where people are gathered together. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. Death. It's like, "Eh, what are we doing, guys? Outbreak. Outbreak, dude. Little outbreak. Can I assume that this was before my time and it might make me feel better? You weren't. Oh, yeah. You weren't even. Because my head went to like zombie land where everyone like got infected and then they had to find the last twinkie so that was a good film though too yeah yeah we were getting can we get some stuff. twinkies in Just the office you... during nfr yeah you can fry them too i don't Fuck even know if you can clown. buy them anymore didn't they like didn't that company or i don't know hostess yeah right yeah, they still have them they might not be the same recipe or factory but they know. still That's, exist yeah, nobody can get rid of twinkies they last forever that was the whole thing you ever had fried oreos yeah delicious Absolutely. Heart hurts just hearing those words. At Houston Rodeo had them, one of those little um, carts. Yeah. Made, uh, fried. So, carts. had to be junior high finals. I think we were in Gallup, New Mexico that year. It was the first time I had fried Oreos. And let me tell you, my brother is an Oreo addict. If there are Oreos in the pantry, there will not be by the time he sees the package and you get back to the pantry because he would eat like two to three rows, like the whole case of cookies. That's who he was. Well, we used to go. We went to junior high finals, then Little Bridges, and then high school finals. That's typically how it would lay out. Oh my gosh, for like four weeks straight, that's what my brother would have for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Give me a glass of milk and a stack of Oreos. My little chubby ass back in the day when I was a little... Oh, dude, I'd be dipping. I'm not even an Oreo fan. Mm. I I gained five pounds just off this conversation. (laughs) What else is this random fair foods? Funnel cakes? Uh, 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 Chocolate dipped bacon. Yeah, I've had that. That is so good, man. Mm. I haven't had that. I thought you were going to say like a chocolate-covered banana, like the frozen ones no. with like the peanuts on it. My mom no. likes it. Chocolate bacon is fantastic. I've had, I, that is that is so not good for you, but so Have good. Have you had <laughs> Tabasco chocolate? I've had that. No chocolate bacon, though. No, it doesn't. No. Um, 
and in Orange County, California, we used to do a, a little rodeo showdio down there. And that's like the biggest fair. I mean, there's like 75,000 people a day that yes. roll through there or something, but their food courts are unbelievable. So they, there's this guy that had uh, Texas donuts and these things are 14 inches across, right? I mean, they're five inches tall. It's a big donut. Gee. I mean, it's a, it's a donut yeah. with a hole, right? Ice cream, Whoa. ice cream, maple syrup, bacon all nice. over it, caramel sauce. Right. If you eat a quarter of that, the fibrillator's on standby. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you're losing a leg. Don't get your blood checked over the next, uh, I don't know. No. (laughs) But wait, let's think about the fact that this family, in order to create this recipe masterpiece, you know that they all sat down and had so many different versions of this one donut, ice cream, bacon, maple syrup, caramel. Yeah, you got to sample good. everything, right? You got to, uh, does that yeah. work? Does this not work? Yeah. Not good? Qual- quality assurance, man. Enjoy our conversation with general manager of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, Alan Reinheimer. Listen to the end for Last Call with Steve and his good buddy, NFR announcer, Andy Seiler. And up next, Ryland's Bull. <laughs> this is Ryland's Bull, the rodeo news of the week. Extreme Bulls Tour finale moving to Pendleton, Oregon. The best professional bull riders in pro rodeo are heading to one of the best settings in rodeo for the Extreme Bulls Tour finale presented by Banner Bank. The event that crowns the Extreme Bull Tours champion will take place during the Pendleton Roundup in September this year. Brett Young hits the top spot this week on Billboard's Country Airplay chart with Lady, marking his seventh consecutive trip to the chart's pinnacle. Young recently revealed that he and his wife Taylor are expecting another baby girl. Caesars Palace Las Vegas will soon offer a next level sports viewing experience via the debut of a 2,186 square foot stadia bar and lounge complete with a large number of high definition televisions in order to give patrons the ability to casually hang out or catch the big game in style. The addition will feature an elevated bar serving an array of unique curated selections and an impressive list of highly allocated supreme spirits such as the sought-after Kentucky Owl 10-Year Rye and Elmer T. Lee 100-Year Tribute Whiskeys. The road to the NFR world standing leaders are bareback rider Tilden Hooper, steer wrestling Jacob Talley, team roping header Eric Rogers and Peyton Bray, saddle bronc rider right, tie down Shane Hanty, barrel racing Tiani Schuster, bull riding Colton Fritzlin, and in the all-around is Stetson Wright. There's only one NFR, there's only one Vegas. We're back, and we don't want you to miss anything. Make NFRExperience.com your link to hear it first. You will get info on NFR events, Vegas concerts, insider tips, and more, all directly to your inbox. Just go to NFRExperience.com, verify your email address, and pick the experiences you want to hear more about. And new this year, we will send you customized announcements and special offers directly to your mobile number now and throughout the NFR. Check out NFRExperience.com for details. Hello, everyone. This is Hunter Cure, two-time world champion steer wrestler, and I'm here on the NFR Extra podcast.
During his career, Alan Reinheimer has overseen all elements of equestrian and livestock production, including many aspects of the Wrangler NFR and FEI World Cup jumping and dressage finals. Alan has brought his knowledge and expertise to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo since 2000. PRCA CEO George Taylor said, We look forward to working with Alan to further showcase our world-class athletes and stock as he leads one of our nation's premier sporting events into the future. Having grown up on Cedar Crest Farm in Indiana, which produced both top show horses and beef cattle, Reinheimer is a dedicated professional, fully entrenched in event production in various environments. Alan Reinheimer, welcome to NFR Extra, sir. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Hey, Alan, take us through the two-minute Alan Reinheimer pitch of where you grew up in Indiana. Yeah, I think it was a farm, right? Is that where you Yeah, we grew up in, Indiana, in uh, just north of Indianapolis in a little town called Noblesville. And back then, we called it Noble-Tucky because it was a small little town. Now, it's, you wouldn't recognize it. It's, it's just grown out. And we had a farm there, and uh, my dad was a blacksmith, and, and uh, he came from northern Indiana. And he, he was a, a demanding father. He expected you to uh, do anything you could set your mind to and you could accomplish it, but make sure you know you leave nothing on the table when you do whatever you do. Make sure you put your full effort to it. So growing up in that environment on a horse farm, uh, we had cattle. I, I spent the summers in Wisconsin with my grandfather at a dairy farm. So we, we grew up around livestock. And, and I always say that, you know, growing up in that environment is fantastic for kids to learn responsibility and to learn, you know, the horses don't take a day off. You have to be there every day. You have to, you know, have to plan for everything every day. Then when uh, I went to high school there in, in Noblesville and then went to college in Colorado uh, for a year, I only went to school for a year, but then uh, dropped out. My parents got divorced. So it kind of messed me up there a little bit. Got back on track and I've been with my wife since 87, like I said. And we started in Chicago, got married in Chicago and uh, moved down to Indianapolis in 95. And I worked for the Indianapolis Colts. I was a uh, project manager for the Indianapolis Colts. And we built a, uh, a farm there for them. And that's also another part of my my uh, business that started with Showtime. We started doing concept designs for facilities and farms. And so we do that as a, as a side business as well. But yeah, growing up in Indiana has been, uh, we really like that area. I, I live 20 minutes from my family farm uh, now, which is all houses, by the way. It's all developed into I mean, houses are overtaken everywhere. I don't know where. Gosh, <laughs> I don't know. And we just sold a piece of property last year that is, uh, we, we, we had 50 acres and then we sold some a few years ago and then we uh, came back and uh, um, there's 120 homes next to it now. So uh, we just had to get out. It was, we couldn't get our truck and trailer out of the driveway anymore. It was so busy. So uh, things are moving out. So, but yeah, my, my, you know, growing up in Indiana, we were hands-on. We did everything we did. You know, if we, we, my father built his barn back then, we, we were kids building, we were pounding nails at age 10, you know, and, and, you know, packing things around and he didn't believe in hiring anybody. So it was, we had six kids and that's what his labor force was. So we worked child, every day in the barn. Yeah, child labor. That's a great deal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, today, in those circumstances, today, yeah. obviously. <laughs> today, today it'd be a little different, but yeah. <laughs> it showed parent, us a lot of responsibility a and a lot of a lot of work ethic and everything. So I think it was I wouldn't change it. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, my kids are going through that now, that same that same era. So. Little yeah. did you know, working with the Colts was like some foreshadowing for your future there with the Indianapolis Colts football team. That's uh, yeah, it was hard. kind of a. I was there for a year, and then Bob Ursay passed away, and they shut shut that division down. Um, but it was uh, it was a quite an experience. 
good things going down for yourself and for us and for Las Vegas. You've been a part of the NFR for forever, and I don't want to get into the years and things like that, but you've been a big part of behind the scenes. How did you come to work for the NFR, Alan? Well, it was back in 2000. They had the Las Vegas uh, World Cup finals uh, for show jumping in, in Vegas, and I volunteered for Robert Ridlin. And it's kind of an interesting tale. When I got there, I got put into a lot of places that uh, I wasn't expecting to do. But uh, we we managed the the World Cup finals, and I got to meet with Sean Davis and work with Sean that year. And we did a couple of things there that were kind of openings that we uh, worked with uh, livestock. And Sean didn't have anybody to help him work the work the gates to let the livestock in and out. And I said, I'll help you. I got no problem with that. And uh, so I went down and helped with the rehearsals and work, helped with uh, the, the livestock. And Sean said, well, if you can do that, you can probably get a job at the NFR. And I said, well, don't offer something you uh, aren't willing to set up and, and, and make happen. And with that, uh, my first year at the rodeo was 2000. I worked uh, with Danzy Price. Wow, 21 years ago. You are no stranger to producing equestrian events. You're the company you represent and all the other things that you've been a part of. Tell us a little bit more, and I want to make sure this is, is Showtime Jumping Company, right? That's that's the group that you- Yeah, Showtime Jump Company, correct. Yeah, what's what's that all about? Showtime Jump Company started back in 87 with my wife. Uh, actually, she sold her horse, so we had the money to uh, help start the company. So I kind of put her out of out of a horse and put me into business. And we uh, we rented equipment to horse shows. That was our, our business when we first started. We started, like I said, back in 87, uh, the year that we got married. So I've been uh, married to Kathy for since 87. Our first horse show that we did was Estes Park, Colorado at the fairgrounds there in the rodeo arena. Rodeo has kind of been a part of my business ever since doing that. Different events, fair fairgrounds and stuff that we produce. Showtime's now evolved into a production company that we produce horse shows across the country. We do a lot of horse shows with the classic company. One of the biggest shows we do is the Hampton Classic Horse Show is in the Hamptons. And uh, we supply equipment, uh, staff, uh, you know, just, just like a rodeo, similar to the rodeo that we you know, produce. Uh, and the difference there is we do, most of our stuff is outdoors that we produce. A lot of temporary tents, stalls, uh, everything is. Uh, so Showtime Jump Company saw a need that we uh, fulfilled with any equipment you could need at a horse show. To, we fulfilled it. We did an estate. We did a horse show at Biltmore Estate. For years, right at the back of the house on the on the river, we had 1,400 horses there, all in temporary stalls, all in temporary rings. Uh, we'd come in a week before, set it all up. The only thing on the grounds was a, a two-inch water hydrant that we supplied. Everything else was off of generators and because we were in a floodplain. And that went on for about seven years until we got flooded out and lost enough money that we decided to hang our hat up on that one. But it was a beautiful, beautiful show. One of my favorite events we did, you know, and we, with that outdoor event, we have weather to deal with all the time. And it, most of our stuff, like I said, is temporary. So I've, I've taken down horse shows, I've uh, set, set up horse shows, taken them down because of hurricanes out on Long Island, Charleston, South Carolina. Bertha was a big hurricane that uh, we had to take down the complete facility and set it all back up three days later when the hurricane came through. So we've been through a lot of stuff uh, over the years. And, and again, Showtime Jump Company has uh, been the backbone of that for us to uh, supply all that equipment and supply uh, staffing and, and management uh, for uh, shows across the country. And we do the horse shows down in Washington, D.C., downtown. We've done the National Horse Show on uh, Pier 92 in uh, New York, right on the water. We built a ring on top of the pier. Uh, so there's been a lot of things that we've done over the years and and again, Showtime has been the backbone of that. Little did you know, you were going to get married to two different situations, right? The horse world of uh, equestrian and rodeo and everything else comes with that. And you're uh, 
wonderful wife, man. That's awesome, Alan. Yeah. It's been a it's a, been a great uh, great ride, as you'd say, across the years. We have five beautiful children, two in college, one uh, one's in Purdue. He's uh, working to get into vet program and actually my daughter's is a senior but she's uh, committed to uh, DePaul to play softball so and I have three uh, younger kids that are freshmen all in high school so we got a long way to go I gotta keep working <laughs> <laughs> kind of your expertise here but it sounds like almost you've lived pretty much the inside and outs of the horse event business from trial error and this doesn't work and how do I make this work and I mean you get accustomed to that after a while it's almost like a skill set that a lot of people don't I don't think they understand how important that is when you can build events where there's nothing to, to offer to you yeah I mean we a lot of the companies that we do shows for and we produce shows for are from the ground up. Like I said, we do a lot of events at uh, fairgrounds and, and not permanent places, but they'll have permanent, some permanent structures here and there. And the other part of our company too, is we install arenas um, across the country, uh, different places, different, any kind of arena you want, we can, we can uh, install that. And we got into that business because we got to these places and the ground was not correct and they didn't have the equipment to work it properly. And so that's just another piece of Showtime Jump Company. We started doing uh, arena work and we had the equipment. So we, we stepped out and we started doing other, other jobs, personal people and horse show venues and um, across the country. And so we've got all the equipment to do anything we need to from the ground up, like you said. You can go into a vacant spot and put on an event. You are listening to NFR Extra with our guest, Alan Reinheimer. Let's take a quick break. In Las Vegas, December becomes Cowboy Town. The Wrangler National Finals Rodeo is the prize for the top contestants in the world seeking a share of the $10 million purse and the coveted gold buckle. For the fans, Las Vegas transforms into the greatest Western party in the world with the NFR experience featuring Cowboy Christmas, the Junior World Finals, nonstop entertainment, custom viewing parties, and so much more. Follow all the action at NFRexperience.com. There is only one NFR. There is only one Vegas. Hey, y'all. I am singer-songwriter Ashlyn Craft, and you are listening to the NFR Extra. NFR Extra with General Manager of the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo, Alan Reinheimer. Rodeo and dressage and jumping. Yeah, (laughs) jump in. Pun intended. What is the difference in the footing that you deal with just comparing rodeo and dressage? Well, it's it's all different. Everybody likes a different surface. Everybody likes a different. Uh, the the jumping has now gone to mostly a synthetic uh, sand mixture. A lot of drainage work goes into it. There's a, a tremendous amount of expense to it. Um, but they, you know, the horses are getting more expensive. The people are passionate about their event. They want to keep everything as uh, as good as they can. So the the venues have and the people uh, have stepped up to uh, create that across the country. We still deal with a few shows that have uh, arena dirt in them, you know, like that are all-purpose facilities. And, and uh, it's a little tougher to work with those with the show jumping. And, but we manage to either bring in materials and change the material that's there or add to it to uh, enhance it so it works for the discipline that's uh, what we're working with. As far as the rodeo footing goes, I've, I've been involved with the NFR now well, since 2000 and kind of watched it evolve up through. And there's a lot of things that 
that I've learned over the years from different people. And rodeo footing is just as important as as the show jumping. I mean, everybody's passionate about it. You got the barrel racers. You've got the uh, timed event. Uh, you know, this, make sure the dirt works uh, so they can slide and not get uh, stuck in it. There's a, there's this tremendous amount of different uh, variations in the arena that uh, you have to work with. But as far as the complexity of the materials, it's totally different. Dressage will work on the uh, synthetic footing. Uh, they like it a little deeper, a little more cushion. The show jumping like it firm and a rodeo has to hold up and uh, make sure that bucking horses don't slip and, the, and, and nobody slips in the arena and then the barrel racers can get into it and make sure that they can uh, get around the barrels as quickly and as easy and not not to uh, be affected or slipped by anything. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes there. It's, it's becoming more of a science across it. We uh, now take temperatures and uh, moisture readings throughout the arena. You know, back in 2019, we, we did 13 moisture readings and temperature readings five times a day in the Thomas and Mac arena. And we did the same thing in, in Texas with Randy Spragans. Uh, we started taking temperature readings and, and uh, moisture readings. And once you get to that point where it works well, that's where we like to keep it. And adjusting it throughout the day because of the humidity and adjusting that because of the, uh, the, the wind effect in the arena, it all varies so much. Trying to find that happy medium is what we try to do. So what does the dirt need to be? Medium, medium rare, medium well? <laughs> what, uh, what's the good temp for the dirt? Well, it, 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 it's about, it depends on actually the uh, moisture in the air and uh, the building and the temperature outside. I mean, it all plays factors into it. So it could change from uh, morning to afternoon. Um, that's why we took the, you know, the uh, temps all day long so we could make sure that we understood where we were at during the competition. That was fair for everybody from the start, beginning to the end. Does it, is it more advantageous with the desert landscape or when you're in a kind of a, let's just say a sticker, stickier area, like up uh, Northwest? Yeah. Well, obviously you can always add water. You can't take it out. So uh, the drier the climate, the better it is to work with. And you can always, you can always adjust it easier in the dryer. And again, if, it, if the climate's too dry, then it, it, it uh, takes a tremendous amount of more, to uh, keep it right. So it varies all the way across the country. I mean, even in our the show jumping arenas, how much water you put down in the South is different than what you put down in New York. And then uh, it's different times of the year, the moisture in the air, everything. There's so many uh, variables to it. I kind of been looking at this and this has been something that you said that sounds, and maybe this is just me wearing my tin hat, but it seems like you're a man that works well through adverse times, literally building a company from the ground up in 87. And then you say starting off with the NFR in 2000, we'll look at the benchmark and Bryland, she doesn't even, she, she was, this, I mean, happened, I think before you were born, that was nine months before 9-11. And so that brought an entire different dynamic to traveling, to groups coming together, not the same, but I guess similar in the sense that there is a precautionary awareness that people have after what we're 14, 15 months into a pandemic and still trying to figure that out. So all of these things that you're, you know, that you've been through and have succeeded through also on the general manager position for the NFR, it's kind of an interesting time for you to come in of, you know, we went from Sean Davis, Boyd Polhamis, Glenn Allen Phillips within a matter of a few years. So here you come into this position and I know that there's going to be some questions of, you know, well, yeah, the show jumping side, but the rodeo side, I don't think that people are fully aware of how um, involved you were for the NFR so long, but what are some of the major differences that you see between producing rodeo events and jumping horse events? Well, I think that the, the main things that uh, I see on the, on the, on the front is uh, 
the different disciplines that are at, um, you know, we, we deal with one discipline. We're hunter and jumper discipline. So we, we, we can control what we have throughout the day at the rodeo. You're dealing with different disciplines. You got the, the bucking stock, you got the time event, you got the, there's, uh, there's so many things that go into in, in much more into the rodeo. You have the openings, you have the uh, personalities for the, the anthems. You have tremendous amount of uh, organizations to do for the rodeo that you don't do for an outdoor venue uh, that we do. Uh, we don't have, uh, but working with Sean over the years and working, I've learned so much being in the background and, and working uh, from the ground up. I mean, my first job at the NFR literally was raking the barrels after the barrel racers. So I had 15 second day job. So I had a lot of time on my hands and uh, I got to know a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of things, uh, working with Danzy Price and the construction part of it. And but producing the rodeo is is um, a lot of different challenges, but a lot of the same too. Uh, I think that uh, they they uh, can coexist with what I do as as uh, as manager for both. And it's it's the Super Bowl of rodeos, though. So it's 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 fantastic to be working with Las Vegas events and working in in uh, Thomas and Mack and, and striving to be in, in Vegas. I think it's no other town in the country can put on a show like Vegas. I'm excited to be a part of it. And, This is NFR Extra, and our guest today, Alan Reinheimer. We will return after the break. NFR Extra follows cowboys, talks to legends and country stars, and finds the stories that make up the season that leads to the annual showdown in December. Follow me, Nevada Caldwell, Brylon Bentley, and Steve Goder as we delve deep into the stories in and behind the road to gold. Listen to NFR Extra on Rural Radio, channel 147 on Sirius XM, every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, with a re-air Tuesday in the same time slot. NFR Extra, all dirt, all rodeo, all year. Hello everyone, this is Benji Bendeley, Wrangler National Finals Rodeo Music Director, and this is NFR Extra. The Wrangler National Finals Rodeo General Manager, Alan Reinheimer, is here on NFR Extra. Going back to Steve's talking about this whole 20-year time frame you've been here and, and all the adversity prior to that. Explain a little bit like what has happened to the Thomas Max during your time frame because you've had the tunnels built. You've had all these things that have added and molded to the rodeo. How has that helped as you've seen and now you get to uh, utilize these, you know, the new alleyways and all the things that have been constructed probably more for the rodeo than anything else at Thomas Max? Yeah, I think that the uh, the evolution of the Thomas Mack, I'll say, is has been incredible over the years. Uh, watching it uh, coming from a one tunnel arena to a, a two tunnel arena opened up a tremendous amount of doors to to be able to widen the arena to make it uh, a lot better for the competitors on the floor. Then uh, the big renovation they did in, I think it was 2015, uh, it was a lot of stuff going on. We changed a lot of stuff in the arena and changed a lot of stuff as far as setup with prefert and everything because, you know, you got new pillars where they weren't pillars before you got new alleyways that weren't there. So it's it's opened up the door for us quite a bit to be able to uh, do more and, and be more uh, comfortable setup. And working uh, with the Thomas and Mac, they're a great group of people that never say no to you. They always try to do what they can and uh, make it as easy on you as possible. And it's just a great group of people to work with. The, the evolution going from um, the days of, uh, uh, you know, Matt Ewing and all the way through and uh, now Mike Newcomb and, and Kevin Coburn and 
Todd and everybody there, just a great group of people to work with. And then also with the uh, the two tunnel system, it's it, the teardown and the setup, or the setup and the teardown are, are much easier. We have more access points. We have more. So the whole uh, process has changed over the years, but it's in the last few years that I've been involved, it's it's uh, it's gone quite smoothly. You talk about the production and it seems like there's so many working parts and being the general manager of the NFR, how is is that, I mean, how many people do you have in charge of different deals? I mean, talk talk a little bit about the organization of the NFR and the production side of that. Well, we have, uh, you know, the NFRC, uh, the Las Vegas events, and, and then we work down through the department heads from that point on, uh, you got John Barnes that always has taken care of the livestock and, and the livestock superintendent and, and uh, Rob Hart with the uh, security. There's there, there's just, there's a tremendous amount of people that are involved. I've always felt that uh, you're only as good as your weakest link uh, in a chain. So get good people around you, let them do their job, you know, uh, hold them accountable for their job, and then also give them the tools to make it to where they can do their job successfully. I think that uh, like David Pickering over the years has been a great. When I took over, I can't remember year what year it was when I took over the construction maintenance part of it. Uh, it was 30 days before the rodeo when Sean called me and asked me to uh, set up the arena. Of course, I said yes. I wasn't going to say no, so I said yes. And uh, then I got busy for the next 30 days putting everything together and putting everything on CAD so I could understand it and do everything. David Pickering was one of the first people that said yes. He would come back and work, and and he's been with there with with me there ever since. So I think it's just a great great group of people. And the, there's you know going through the budget and going through the uh, staff and everything right now. It's it's uh, a tremendous amount of people to uh, be responsible for and uh, and to uh, coordinate. So having good people in those d- departments are very key. You have an extensive amount of expertise with essentially doing the same thing for the horse jumping side of it as well, for managing, getting everything organized, orchestrated, set up. So this is, it's kind of right, right in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I mean, it's managing people. It's managing, uh, you know, situations that happen. I was at a horse show one time in Chicago, just to give you a quick background. And a guy came up to me and he asked me if I would uh, come to work for him. And I said, well, wait, what do you do? And he goes, I run a chemical factory and we make 360 different products. And I said, well, I know nothing about chemicals. And he goes, I don't want you to know anything about chemicals. He said, I have chemists for that. He says, I need you to manage the people. I need you to manage the warehouse. I need you to manage the shipping and receiving. So I did. I took a year off and I went to work for him and uh, Hydrox Chemical. And uh, it was different. It was eye-opening for me having a nine-to-five job <laughs> back in 90, uh, 92, 93. So it, it was different, but I, I took on the challenge and I always like different challenges. And, you know, with this, this challenge is going to be more than I've, I can hope for. I think it's just fantastic to be in this situation and working, working my way up through, like I said, raking the barrels in 15 seconds a day and to doing this. That I don't think I'll have 15 seconds a day to think of myself for anything now. I want to backtrack a little bit to you mentioning busy 30 days before you were told that you had to take over this position. But last year, you were told, I believe it was a little less than 90 days, we were going to take this whole event to Texas. Can you highlight a little bit of what you guys had to oversee? Well, that last year was an anomaly that uh, I think it's a year that we all want to remember, we all want to forget. We don't want to go through it again. So it, it was tough for everybody. You know, I understand the reason for moving it to Texas and, and uh, the, the, the lateness of doing it and, 
and uh, with the COVID and everything going on, it was a, it was a tough time for the you know the PRCA and everything to uh, to make that decision to move it there. It was a big risk going into a, a new facility, a new building with all the unknowns and and uh, you know the livestock housing being on a grass field. There were a tremendous amount of things that. Uh, we're at risk there. And I think that uh, putting that together, I focused my energy on the uh, livestock um, area because I got into it late. I wasn't, I wasn't hired, but you know, less than 90 days, it was, it was like 40 days into it. And so I focused my attention on the livestock is what they, you know, the housing and everything and then and, and helping uh, David on the arena set up and, and uh, the signage and everything. So it was a, uh, Quite an experience, I, I got to say, but uh, there's a good core group of people that put that together, and, and it was it's a good group of people that worked together for years, and the PRCA brought in great people that did what they had to do, and you know that the venue is um, it was a little tough for everything, uh, the livestock transportation back and forth, but it all worked out well. I think it all all went well, but I think that Texas has a lot of rodeos, a lot of cowboys, a lot of things going on, but it. Las, there's no place like Las Vegas that can ha- that can hold the uh, NFR to uh, the uh, standard that it needs to be, and, and the excitement level, and and all the fans and everything. You know, uh, I think they had a tremendous amount of fans still in Vegas during the rodeo, watching the rodeo last year. So there were a great deal of challenges at the last minute. There, we were lucky with the weather. The weather uh, cooperated until the last day and tear down. Uh, then we got a tremendous amount of rain, and the, you know, loading out the livestock, they were up to their knees in mud. And, we were up there, anchor, you know, up, up. Everything was sinking. We couldn't drive across the field. The tents were coming down in the mud, and it was it was just a mess to clean up. But uh, luckily, the weather held out for us throughout the event. So, hey, Alan, who um, are any were any of your key guys that you have, you know, now at your disposal? Right hand, left hand guys, woman's, whoever it is, were they with you in Texas? We'll be here. Uh, for this year for 2020 Vegas and then the past. Absolutely, they're they're all back. Uh, you know, I. I uh, I think it's a great group of people. We've worked together for several years you know, with David Pickering and, and his crew, uh, the signage crew and Kyle. And, 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 you know, there are a few people that weren't in, weren't in Texas because uh, of COVID and different things. Hopefully everybody will be back in swing. And, and uh, but I've talked to, I've been on the phone now for two weeks now constantly uh, and just getting updates and, and conference calls and, and, and working through and making sure that uh, we have everybody back. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have everybody back. Uh, everybody said yes. And I think that, uh, it's it's been a good relief for them too to know that the direction it's going yeah. well when i look at the days instead of you know like you said you had 40 days last year and then 30 days to oversee things as i'm looking at the i'll just drop some some sponsorship in here but the lucas oil countdown you got 253 days until go time alan so get some time not much but you got time we got we're 250 days short too. <laughs> we, we have a lot of work to do in 250 days. So uh, there were a lot of things in the works. Uh, a- absolutely. It's, it's never enough time. It's never enough time because you want to produce the best uh, events you can possibly produce. You want to have the best fan experience you can have. You want to have uh, the best contestant experience they can have. It's, it's a lot of work. 250 days doesn't seem like enough to me. So well, we're, yeah. we're behind the eight ball already. And I don't think people realize that NFR is actually a 365 days a year project. It's not just 10 days a year. Absolutely. It's, it's a year round uh, uh, endeavor. I mean, you, no way you could produce an event like that in, you know, the, the, the timing of, you know, the, the 10 days are there. You can't walk in. It's not a turnkey facility. It's not a turnkey operation. There's a lot of elements that go into it. Last break before wrapping up our conversation with Alan Reinheimer. 
Welcome to NFR 360, where the NFR experience comes to life. This portal transports you to an immersive visual experience, encapsulating the stories and history of the NFR experience. NFR 360 is a collection of newly produced and historical digital content filled with stories about current and legendary contestants, the inside scoop on all the elements of how you experience the National Finals Rodeo, and inside tips that will improve your experience during the NFR 365 days a year. Kobe Lovell, world champion team roper, joining y'all on NFR Extra. Alan Reinheimer is here on NFR Extra. I think what is kind of neat is to go back to what we've talked about before is that you have been from opening gates to raking barrels to all of that to where when you're part of the production, you see everything that's going on and you have to be on key and on point. So with the 21, 20 years that you've been involved, you've seen these openings, you've seen these things, you've seen all this. So it's like, I guess if, you know, somebody that doesn't have that experience says, well, let's try this. And they weren't there for all those years. Like we've tried that. It didn't work. So you've got, I think, a different perspective of everything else. And, you know, it's kind of seeing something. Well, I've been at this one spot and I've seen the whole thing from here. It's like you've been down on the floor. You've been in the back. You've been up top. You've been working with Sean. You've been all over the whole entire thing. So I think that that's going to be something very interesting because coming back to Vegas, I mean, God bless Texas. They did allow an opportunity for for last year's NFR to take place. This year, man, we got to show them that Vegas is Vegas is home. Vegas is home. I think, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to take anything away from Texas. It was a different time, a different, different yeah. thing. Uh, and, it, and it went off well. And, and uh, but I think it's a different, it's a different format. It's a different uh, um, atmosphere. It's a different, I mean, it's, there's nothing like the excitement in, in that Thomas and Mac arena. When uh, you have a good ride, you have a good run. I mean, the the uh, closeness of the crowd, the the intimacy of the arena. I think it. Uh, I talked to a lot of riders. I talked to a lot of stock contractors. You know, uh, some of the stock contractors said the stock bucked better there. I think a lot of people miss the the intimacy of Vegas and the the excitement that that uh, Vegas brings to it. And then going back to working from behind the scenes, I have seen everything. I've seen, you know, I wandered around in a rodeo throughout the the, the rodeo for years, uh, understanding everybody's job from the saddle horse boss to the, uh, you know, the feed deliveries in the back uh, to the contestants, to the stall, you know, the stall uh, housing, the, the calves that, you know, I've gotten to be involved with all that. So it's been kind of an eye-opening for me. And then to understand those positions, understand what they need, understand what their their challenges are. I think I have a great perspective of that for all, all aspects of the uh, production of the rodeo. So it's a good fit uh, with the group that uh, are coming back to the rodeo and the, the, a good group. Uh, and we all work well together. When we first got involved, it was it was a lot of finger pointing. You know, that's not my job. That's your job. That mm. you know, and I need the arena from this time forward. Well, we got away. We got we got rid of all that. It's we all work together. We're all here for the same purpose. We're all here to produce the, the best rodeo that we can and produce the Super Bowl of rodeos and to to give everybody the best experience that we, we can give them. You know, and be fair to everybody. So I think that uh, uh, I'm excited about that. Understanding those jobs. Understanding when people come to me about difficult situations that happen i can i have the background to uh, to make good decisions and and to and to rectify things that need to be fixed or so i i uh, i do know i, I didn't announce I didn't do that. When Boyd took over the announcement job, one of his things was this, I'm just a small piece of this rodeo. <laughs> he said, I had no idea that different, all the stuff that goes on in the back. Well, there's a lot to that, you know, there's a lot of the outside that you don't see. And Boyd did a fantastic job. He kept, he did a great job working through everything. But I think that uh, understanding it from the ground up, 
literally from the ground up, how the arena goes in to, to uh, how the livestock goes in, how the livestock sorted, how the livestock, uh, all the, all the entities that go to the rodeo. I've got a pretty good perspective about everything. Uh, just the little simple things that make it safe for the, the, the contestants and the livestock down to the, uh, the dirt being correct. So I, I feel I have a great, great perspective of that. Over 21 years, you have seen and experienced a lot, obviously, with the Thomas and Mac. Is there a moment that impacted you, a memory, like a favorite moment, maybe that just when you think of Thomas and Mac that comes to mind? Well, I think that uh, it's it's been a great ride for 21 years. I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed everything about the uh, uh, the experience I've had with the, with Sean and and. Uh, everybody throughout the years for to pick one moment i got to say there's uh there's so many it, it, it's it's really been a uh, an eye opening and, and and treasure to me to be involved with the nfr there's a lot of lot of people in our industry that come to the nfr that uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, there's a lot of talk about it in our industry. You're going to the NFR, you know, that's that's their goal as well to go to the NFR. So I think that uh, to pick one thing, I, I, I truly can't because it's been, a, it's been great throughout the whole, you know, I think, uh, you know, my brother passed away in 2017, uh, December 1st, which was a, it was a hard time, but uh, leaving the rodeo, then coming back to the rodeo uh, for the event, uh, that was kind of a, a memorable time for me that to uh, to be there during that time frame. But uh, I think that um, it's just I've I've enjoyed every step of it. I've enjoyed it and the challenges and pick one moment. It's hard. Cool part, even though there's no cool part about losing a loved one. But when you go to that rodeo and you're part of that team, you, you're able to dive in. And I would imagine you know when that happened to you, you were able to go into that team, that family that exists there at Thomas Mack Center. I mean, I, I would imagine that helped out a lot. Kind of just there feel normal, I guess, if you will, when you're dealing with grieving or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody was fantastic to me when I came back and, and understood everything, you know, um, and uh, it was a, uh, it was a tough time, but I said, like you said, it was, it's, it's pretty much a family there now. The staff at Thomas and Mac throughout the uh, Las Vegas events, it, it's uh, working with them over the years for the world cup finals. And for this, it's, it's really become a tight group of people. And I think it's a, a good group of people that work together. And, and uh, but everybody was fantastic to, to me. Well, Alan, thank you for taking the time to come on this. Looking forward to you, man, running the rodeo and, and being a part of this team and growing things from out of this pandemic and everything else that we're dealing with. <laughs> and, and, you know, Vegas has got a lot to offer on top of just the arena and the competition. I mean, there's a lot going on around in our town, a lot of new casinos popping up. So it's just going to be a benefit for everybody. But, uh, Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, anytime, I, uh, my door is always open. And if anybody has any questions or anything, I'm here. I'm, I'm not I'm not hard to get a hold of. We'll bring you back. I, listen, you're going to have to come back on because you're going to have to tell us about what's going down, you know, I don't know, maybe later summer, somewhere where, what to look forward to, I guess, at that time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, Desperados, last call. I haven't been this excited for 21 since I myself was 20. <laughs> because all of this just... It, it is last call. The only problem is we're sober. <laughs> exactly. Let's do this. All right. All right, friends, this is Steve Goder joining me right now, my good buddy, Andy Seiler. What's shaking, my man? All right, so this is, this is going to be awkward. Uh, I'm just going to say... My this. eyes are crossed. Well... That, that's a perfect lead-in to what we're fixing to talk about. I can't wait. Who 
is cooler, me oh, or Steve, okay? So let me just lay a few of these things out. First off, Steve is one of the few people that I know that could help me get a rifle from Montana to the state of Florida. When when everything went down with COVID, there were no guns to be had in this area. So Steve was actually cool enough to be able to find a rifle in Florida, have it shipped down here legally. I was able to purchase it at a gun shop. And so now I have a rifle that I was looking for, courtesy of my buddy Steve. Second, I greatly appreciate Oh, we're going in rows. Okay. Well, uh, no, I mean, you're rapid fire slow, so I'm just going to, yeah. you know, I guess you, you ease the clutch out like a tractor, so I'm going to just yeah, yeah. Keep, keep easing. Yeah. Secondly, Steve is a Marine, and I, I think that is really, really cool. You can't say former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. I think that is really, really cool. Thirdly, Steve is getting ready to do a world championship livestock auctioneering competition this summer in June. And that to me is really, really cool because if he doesn't win the world championship this year, which I think he will, he is going to be a world champion. And when, when, you, when you get to that level in anything, I don't care what you're doing, world champion just carries weight. I don't care if you got boxing gloves, you got a gold buckle around your waist. When, when you get to that level, you know, even in contention, which you're going to be a world champ. But even when you're in contention, in, in my in my mind, your saw has to be so sharp that you just start doing things on another level. And, and that to me is pretty cool because you have inspired other people, not just myself, to continue to sharpen their saw and try and master their craft as, as you've done with your own. Sharpening your saw and mastering your craft. That sounds like something you should do when you're not on a podcast. <laughs> As far as coolness, my man, for those of you that don't know, Andy Seiler wore a tuxedo and wore a Rolex <laughs> performance number one of the 2020 Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. So I'd say that that's pretty snazzy. Going to the gun side of it, anybody that wants you to buy a gun, I'd say it's pretty freaking cool as well. <laughs> I got to be just honest. I thought you're the biggest cheese ball I'd ever met when I first met you because I didn't think you were there's nobody that's that nice of a guy. And as far as, you know, the older you get, you want to choke that dog or what? Yeah. Jeez Louise, <laughs> Maggie, us. And saying this in sincerity, man, like being a nice guy, a good husband and a great dad, that's cooler than, you know, anything that, that I can think of. So pretty proud of you, buddy. The whole NFR thing was, was really awesome. And, you know, it's been, it's pretty great to, that you can share victories with. So that's, that's something that, you know, as far as cool, I've never been a cool guy. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, it's just great to have people that are like-minded as far as raising their kids, right. And just kicking ass all the time. Well, I appreciate that. The, the one thing. Uh, that, wait, one more. I got it. I got it. And oh you were gosh. on Jeopardy. Wheel of fortune. I'm not smart enough. Wheel of fortune. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wheel I, the, of fortune. The, the one thing that, that I will say, so the, the tuxedo thing, I just, I thought of, I, I can take credit for that one. The Rolex thing, that was my, my grandfather's Rolex. He gave it to me before, before he passed away. He always said, you know, if you, you keep messing with that rope, because I always had a rope in my hands growing up. He said, if you keep messing with that rope, you're going to be on TV one day. He was still around when, when I first started doing uh, Rodeo Houston. He gave me a, a golden 
peanut necklace because my family farms peanuts and he gave me that watch before he passed away. So that was kind of my way of paying homage to him because, you know, obviously my parents have always believed in me and been very supportive, but my grandpa wasn't around to to see that. So that was kind of my way of paying homage to him because at a young age, when you have people believe in you, I I think it it sparks a fire and and keeps it burning for years and years after that. And I, I know he was looking down and watching. So that was just my way of kind of paying tribute to him. So I was pretty proud to be able to do that for him. We want to thank Alan Reinheimer for visiting us on NFR Extra. Want to experience more of NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com. And we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, we would love it if you gave us a big five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. NFR Extra. All dirt. All rodeo. All year. Cowboy hats. And it don't get no-